Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, all about the Arizona Cardinals and the NFL, featuring insider and outsider perspectives. Enjoy the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. Now here are your hosts, Jess Root and Seth Cox. Hello, Arizona Cardinals fans, and welcome to the latest edition of the Rise Up Sea Red podcast. I'm your host, Jess Root from CardsWire.com. USA Today NFL Wireside, the cover series on the Cardinals. With me is my co-host from RevengeOfTheBirds.com, SB Nation's Arizona Cardinals site, and one of the hosts of the original Draft Breakdown podcast, Seth Cox. From um, and we are guess what? Guess what, Seth? Episode five zero zero, the big five hundred. It is our five hundredth episode since we started back in twenty thirteen. I, I don't remember at what point you came on because I had a few shows before before you joined, but. It's been a lot of episodes. We talked a lot, and uh, it's in the last couple of years. Of course, it's been a lot of losses as we get to talk about the Arizona Cardinals losing twenty-seven to sixteen on Christmas Eve to the Chicago Bears, um, and the the implications of that with the draft and all that. Seth, first of all, glad you had a great Christmas how, how weekend. It not only it it's not wasn't only just a b- Christmas weekend for Seth, who was also a birthday weekend as he gets a touch older. He's still he's still what, what are you now? 30 what? 38. Yeah. 38. He's he's still still a baby. Still a little baby, but with not really cuz he's got kids graduate from high school and his kids are getting all big. He's reaching that next stage of life. Christmas birthday, I'm assuming was a fantastic weekend it was for me with all the family home. Yeah, I mean it's a great time to be with family, enjoy, you know, all the all the things that we're fortunate enough to have here, and um, you know, just being able to sit back, watch football, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, like, and and not have too much to worry about. It's kind of a kind of a blessing in and of itself right and and we got to do that on on sunday and then focus on family on monday and well because it was the first time in three years that we didn't have a game on christmas day the previous two christmases were games for the cardinals and well that's kind of nice it was definitely nice it, not- <laughs> if we would have been paying attention jess one of the bets we could have made was for the Cardinals to score 16 points because apparently that's just all that they can score on Christmas or Christmas Eve because the last three <laughs> games they've scored 16 points. Man, that, by the way, those numbers, like when you look at those, and, and usually you have to bet both sides of the coin on that, but there are some sites where you can bet a single team's uh, point total. And yes, if you would have bet 16, it'd probably been like plus. <laughs> Plus three thousand. They would have paid for your entire Christmas, right? Right, exactly. Put put fifty bucks on it, win fifteen hundred bucks, and walk out of there going, "Hey, this is a 
even with a loss this was a great day but yeah i mean it was it was a lot of fun to be able to hang out watch watch football all day and let's be honest i mean you know not not to get too far off but like yesterday was a surprisingly interesting good is probably not the right word because of what happened in the first game and and half of what happened in the second game but it was a very interesting day of football on christmas in all three games and and let's be honest going into yesterday we were just really looking at san francisco baltimore as the only game worth a damn and and the raiders came out uh completed one or zero passes in the final three quarters and and beat the kansas city chiefs (laughs) and uh and the Tommy DeVito experiment is over and Tyrod Taylor's back in and and led a furious comeback attempt that fell short against the Eagles. I mean, those games were uh, my inter- take on all three games was good. So Yeah. But and, 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 and two so the the two of my three actual underdog picks were were Raiders and 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 the and the Ravens. So that was that was a good it was a good weekend because I'd been been having kind of a rough streak on my stretch on my underdog pick so well and let's be honest it was interesting interesting is probably not the right word it was kind of ironic slash funny to see the the pumpkin that brock party turned into (laughs) when when all of those interceptable passes become started turning yeah started turning into interceptions he's like hey i've made that throw for 17 games or whatever however many games he's played and and the ravens are like no you you can't do that against us and and isn't it just wonderful that the way that the 49ers even get on the board to start the game is a referee not in position falls down and, and sacked lamar i mean just could you could you imagine if the ravens would have lost by one or two like oh, that would have been terrible just the but yeah i mean i was I mean, I was genuinely shocked at what, like, just just kind of perusing the games until that Ravens 49ers game, which is the first one I kind of really paid attention to during the day of, like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah, but we have to talk about this game, and uh, we're not going to, we're just going to take, you know, one segment on it, because we got a few other things to talk about, so, but the game 27 to 16 um they fall behind 21 to nothing it was kind of a debacle in the beginning once again the receivers play is is it's not good i mean you got a 38 yard touchdown catch and run by greg dorch but the defense i mean the defense the defense and the defense they they got run over for 250 total yards um, eight for fifteen on third down, four hundred and twenty yards allowed. Uh, Justin Fields, yeah, they they almost gave up two one hundred yard rushes as Khalil Herbert went for one twelve and a touchdown, and Justin Fields went nine for ninety seven and a touchdown. It was it was a disappointing game. I mean, disappointing in the fact that you thought they would be more competitive, and they even kind of got things kind of okay and and kind of rallied towards the end but when anytime you fall behind 21 nothing it kind of makes things you know impossible right and it doesn't matter what you do and i'm gonna the first thing i'm gonna say is this 
Like you look, Kyler Murray. He's not the reason why they're losing. He's he's had a good season in the game. Like aside from the Rams game and a couple of throws against Houston, Kyler's had a really. He's really been good, and he he was statistically even better. He had a statistically best game, and he did it with almost no help at all. Yeah, and it's just getting to the point where you're seeing that. You know, we talked about it last week, and I think I think it just becomes obvious that th- there are needs on this team, and the biggest need is they just need playmakers, um, especially at the receiver position. And, and, you know, you look at what happened in this game and, and uh, how this game played out in and of itself, and there was just – you know, there were a lot of chances that they missed. Um, you know, some of them were some of them were dropped, right? I mean, we, we saw Michael Wilson, we saw Trey McBride, uh, we we saw Greg Dorch before that great run. All all have uh drops in this game. Um, you know, we saw Rondell Moore once again, he's kind of a you know, I, I, I was texting a buddy of ours and, and you know, Rondell and Greg Dorch, they're just, they're slot guys only. Like, they literally just don't have a singular offensive weapon that can that can win vertically outside of Trey McBride at this point. And, you know, he looked like he was hurting a little bit in this game. Um, and, and those things all just kind of came to fruition. They continue to run the ball well, which is, you know, I think everybody would agree that's that's a positive. Like, yeah, there, there was continue- a sad part because John, James Conner's streak of of averaging four yards a carry came to an end. But we can we can also say that James Conner was pretty much the only bright spot in this game. Uh, 112 total yards from scrimmage, uh, 12 carries, 45 yards, five catches for 67, and a touchdown. He continues to be. And entering, now he's not entering contract years, but he's entering the last year of his deal next year. Um, you know, when you want to to chew up and spit out running backs, he's a guy that you have to, you, you now are in a position that you have to extend him um, because you know what's going to happen next is that um, the holdout's coming. <laughs> and you know, that, we don't want right. to talk about it later, but that, that if they don't take care of him this offseason, at least give him, you know, give him a little extra then that's that's going to be a problem because he's literally the only, the only thing that's a bright spot on this offense uh, other than Trey McBride, and Trey McBride didn't have a good game. Six catches for 31 yards, but, you know, you can take him away when you've got nothing else happening. And, and Well, uh, and that's just what it is. Like, there's just nothing else offensively that, that scares teams, and, and you're starting to see that play out. Like, if 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 McBride's not making plays vertically – then they have nothing vertically and they can just kind of load the box and sit on things. And that's what they were doing in this game. And, you know, I, uh, you know, they ran what I think two screens that, that pop for 10 plus yards, which is quite frankly, baffling from this organization. I mean, <laughs> doesn't matter. doesn't matter who the head coach is. We've seen that screens just don't work. And so to see it work was, was exciting, but you know, at the end of the day, a lot of it just comes down to they just lack the talent to compete. Um, and, and like you said, a 21 nothing hole is not something you can get out of with where your best playmakers on offense are, are running back in a tight end because you just don't have enough time. Yeah. And, you know, the, 
we both got a good laugh out of this. One is they finally ended their sackless streak. Uh, Dennis Gardeck got a sack of Justin Fields, but it wasn't like a, a sack sack. It was, of all the ways to lose the sack, it was Justin Fields scrambled, got out of the pocket, and then ran out of bounds for no gain. Nobody hit him, and so Dennis Gardeck got credit for a sack. So they finally break the streak, but you, you, you've now gone four games where you haven't you know, tackled the quarterback for a loss. Um, well, and then they finally got one, and they called a very curiously timed and and called oh, a yeah. defensive holding call that set up the the Bears first uh, first or second touchdown I can't remember but yeah I mean again it's just it's starting to come to fruition I mean you you talked about it when you I argued is probably a very strong statement and but you know you kind of opined on on you know X Twitter that uh they you know Zaven Collins is fine but they got to find a guy that can rush the passer and <laughs> somebody said to the extent of well you know why not move him back to inside linebacker and it's like he's your best run defender why would you move on the like on the edge why like people I, I don't know I feel like sometimes people are just like oh well he's good at stopping the run so he should be able to do it from off the ball it's like no part of the reason he's become so good at stopping the run from the edge is because he doesn't have to make decisions about which way to go downhill. Like he just him playing off the ball would be really timely right now. Right. Because they have no, (laughs) yeah, they have no talent or ability off the ball. That that was one very disappointing thing we got to see. It was cool. Owen Papo, their fifth row, one of their fifth round picks. He, he gets it. He gets a start because he's now, he lines up in base. Now, now, most of the time, honestly, the Cardinals only run with um, one off-the-ball linebacker because they choose to go basically with the five-man front. Um, and they, they go basically with a big a big nickel with, with one linebacker and a third safety. Um, but they started the game with Papo alongside of Chris Barnes. Papo did not, did not, did not look good. <laughs> uh, no. Boys athletic. But Man, the he, he was he, not he got out physicaled a was lot. So overwhelmed just physically and and you know another thing that we can lament and something that just it just feels like it shows up every single week are missed opportunities, right? And the guy this week was Andre Chashir. Uh he he played quite a bit, um, you know. Their their rotation was really interesting. You look at their defensive snap counts. Obviously, Jalen back to the slot. Yeah, Jalen and 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 Buddha were at the top. You had Starling Thomas and Antonio Hamilton as uh, with Garrett Williams out, which is you know something we'll get to in a little bit. Uh, Garrett Williams out, and then you had Chris Barnes played uh, sixty nine of seventy snaps. Uh, but from there, it was you know a mishmash, right? You had Dante Stills. Uh, and Zayvon Collins playing in the 40s. Then you had Chashir, and um, you had Chashir getting some snaps uh, at strong safety as well because, like you said, they were playing Jalen in the in the slot because they were just, I mean, when you have no corners, you, that's what you do. But so, I, and I don't know if you remember this play or not, but Chashir had a great opportunity to have a pick six. It kind of changed the entire oh, momentum yeah. of the game, and he just drops the ball and. It's always, this is what's always interesting to me. 
you know, and, and we we like PFF, the whole idea of like somebody grading something. And and Chashier gets a really positive grade for that. And it's like I get because he made why. a play on the it's a pass break, but right. Uh, but it's like that's actually a, a missed opportunity because right. instead of being a pick six and all of a sudden the game changes momentum, you're just talking about a, a pass breakup that leads to a punt. Like yeah. nothing, nothing. And so those are the things that get to me. And it's it's kind of you know how you and I have always talked about uh hurries right or 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 you know or pressures or whatever you want to call them like it's fine to get pressure but eventually you have to get a sack too because those pressures only matter if they turn into negative plays and when you're playing a guy like justin fields or kyler murray those those pressures you know, usually don't lead to negative plays they actually lead to positive plays <laughs> for the, for, <laughs> for the and, and so, yeah, I mean, it's great when you're playing Clayton Tune, right? And that's not to take a shot at Clayton, <laughs> but, like, it's it's great when you're playing a Clayton Tune. It's great when you're playing, you know, a Kenny Pickett, uh, a Mitch Trubisky. But when you're playing guys like Justin Fields, even if they're not great passers, like, they, they make so many plays, and it's just, yeah. And it's just interesting to look at because this is just such a hodgepodge team right you've got bj ogillary who's you know hopefully the the best all-around edge player you have but you have you know zavin collins who's we just you know we talked about probably their best run defending edge player and then you have dennis gardek who's their best edge rusher but you can't have them on the same field at the time so like if you're playing against that team if you're playing against the cardinals and david collins is on the field you want to try to throw the football right because that's putting the cardinals at a disadvantage and you see garlic you're going to run at him right and so it's just it just becomes this problem of like you can't you can't even play the chess match because your chess pieces are all you know all knights like if you just <laughs> if you put all knights out there yeah, you have the ability to move differently than the pawns and the, you know, the cast or you know the castles and and you know the rooks and 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 the bishops. But like, you don't have the ability to move in different ways, and that's just what the cardinals do. It's like it's like, hey, we have this knight and we have this knight, but we don't have anything else. So like, <laughs> you know, we we cannot take advantage of matchups and and that's just where you're starting to see it like i hate saying that they're they lack the talent but that's really what it is they lack the all-around talent like they have the situational talent outside of the defensive line which is just a uh you know a nightmare of of nightmares that i mean you and i have covered the i mean you've covered this team longer than i have but you and i have covered this like you said 10 10 years I have never seen anything like this in, in terms of just injuries. Like it's just one of the most baffling things I've ever seen. And, and you just, I mean, at, at some point it's just too much to overcome. It's, it's, it's been comical defensively. Now it, it's a, it's there. If there's one thing we've seen this on the offensive line and thank goodness that this year, the offensive line has been intact 
with the exception of left guard. And that's been, that's really been a, a blessing to the quarterbacks this year. Um, there's one thing I wanted to complain, and I complained about it on Twitter, and I had a few analytics people come out. I, I will, I will fight anyone. I'm like, yeah, I understand the analytics. <sighs> when the Cardinals scored that that touchdown to bring them in with eight, I could not believe why in heaven's name they would go for two when they've been so bad at it. And 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 I guess the, I get the anal, I get it. I get the analytics behind it. But Here, I still, here's I think the thing: I think it's the wrong decision. Like, why you chase points like that? And and but uh, you can even say you can even say you get the analytics. As somebody that, in, and again, my coaching is 1,000% different than NFL coaching, but as somebody that coaches actively, like, I don't understand it. Because at the end of the day, the one thing that, whether I'm, I'm the head coach and calling plays or talking to my kid's high school coach, who's one of the better coaches in the state, and I and I have to remind him at times, like, you don't want to chase points early. And that's what they did. Like, if you miss that at your point, let's just say they kick it, Matt Prater misses, right? It's it's little little windy, a little moist in, in Chicago. Bad kick, he misses it, now they're down eight. Okay, you score again. Let's just say there's four minutes left in the game. Chase those points, right? Because at that point, then you're either down, you're either tied or you're down two. So it's not a, you know, huge deal, right? Yeah. But that juncture in the game, over eight minutes left in the game, I just, I don't get it. And I get, I get the numbers behind it, but at the same time, I'm like, I still don't get situations that make sense. I'm like, why? It doesn't. Why do you count? Like, I much rather take the sure points and then, and then, in the situation, if you've got, I guess Alex doesn't believe in momentum, but you go down to score and you're now down one point. You have the decision to kick the extra point or go for two for the win. But, but Jess, that's the uh, that's always going to be the issue with analytics, is that there's never there's never anybody that actually has to. <laughs> well, that's also actually has to make that decision well, because all they're saying, oh, look, these are what the numbers are telling right, us. Right, okay, right, right. But, but that you're also looking at. Here's the thing I talk about: like the, you, you expect you're you're assuming a fifty percent conversion rate on your on your two point conversions, which I get numerically makes sense. But then you have to believe that your team is league average, and we all know that this team is not league average. Well, and especially like you said, with two point plays. They're what now? Two or three, three, three for twelve? Now, yeah, three, four. I know that's a small sample size, but when you say when you're looking at a Linux, that's assuming like league average. Is this team a league average team? No, it's not. Do it, not at, assume it, that at, at any anything. Point. Yeah, at anything. <laughs> Unless you're going to say, "Hey, this team is league average at running the football," then no, they're not league average at anything. And so, yeah, I mean, it just that's my problem with analytics in a nutshell. Is it's 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 in a box it's a binary set of numbers and it and i get that's what the whole thing is supposed to be is it doesn't take into account any outside variables but we live in a world of outside variables so we have to take those variables into account in every situation and in this situation 
it just didn't make sense. It just didn't. And, and in the end, it didn't matter. I mean, they didn't score again. So it doesn't. But it did, it, 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 if you're a believer in momentum, it did take. It did feel like it took kind of some of the wind out of the sails because in, then you knew you're like, oh, we have to get a touchdown and a two point conversion to tie. Plus, they had to get a stop, but that's another story. They hadn't. <laughs> It isn't amazing too that they can get one to two stops a game, but it always seems that in <laughs> an innocuous time, it's like, hey, we really need to stop here, and they're like, nope. Sounds 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 like something. Yeah, it sounds like a you problem, not a us problem. <laughs> right, and like, uh, it, 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 in fairness, like we knew we knew going into that 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 it was going to be a hard game to to defend. We just thought we just thought we just thought that the Cardinals were gonna were going to operate better offensively, and they just they just did not. I mean. In the end, Kyler had a good statistical game. He didn't turn the ball over. He threw a pair of touchdown passes. Um, James Conner played well. You got you got some production from Amari Di Mercado, but just the receivers, the receivers. And and while it was it was more, they ended up you know with four catches for seventy five yards. One of those thirty eight yards came on one play. And well, and that's. I call that the Brock Purdy, right? Like that was you threw a four-yard pass play that was designed in in that situation. It's third and eight. You you run a a four-yard drag route, um, you know, a mesh concept, and and you throw that. There's nobody there, so he's going to pick up the first down easy, and he makes the other. You know, what was it? Thirty-nine yard touchdown, thirty-eight yard touchdown. Yeah, yeah. He makes the other thirty-four yards. Well, we won't even say that. He was going to gain about 10 yards before he even made, you know, touch of the first defender. So the last 28 yards were all Greg Dorch. I mean, and that's what that's what bothered me about in general about quarterback statistics is yeah, it's, it's like it, it looks really good that Kyler threw a 38-yard touchdown. And don't get me wrong, <laughs> it was a great play. But at, at the end of the day, it's like Kyler threw a four-yard, you know, drag route that Greg Dorch did all the work on. And, and, you know, we saw that in the Sunday night game of like, hey, sometimes those plays aren't there, so you have to make plays, and, and that didn't happen for Brock in that game. And, and, you know, that's one of the things that we haven't seen. And I, I go back to this, you know, there's a lot of negatives from the game, a lot of positives from the game, but I go back to this. You have three three throws in this game to three different players, one of which is supposed to be kind of your – best guy and Trey right like he's supposed to be the guy and that was just an easy drop like that was yeah. there was there was no excuse for that 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 killed the I think it was the first drive of the game too that killed the momentum on the first drive right and then and then you had two throws by Kyler that were just preposterous and I think I said Michael Wilson earlier I meant Rondell Moore you had two throws that were just preposterous by Kyler that you're just like the preposterously good he means by yeah the way. oh yeah yeah they were just I mean like <laughs> You just look at them and you're like, holy crap. Like, that's why you're like, okay. Like, we've, we've talked about the mechanics of the contract and all of that. Like, but that there's, that's the other reason why you're like, hey, let's see if we can get this guy some help out of guys that will catch those footballs. Cause the one he made to the Rondell and then the one he made to Greg Dorch were just so absurdly, you know, needle threading throws that you're just like, who, like you said, whether it's the analytics or momentum, 
you look at it and you go, who knows what happens if they actually catch those balls? Right. Like, so to 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 accentuate the the receiver problems, we're going to look at the numbers of their their supposed three best receivers on this team: Hollywood Brown, Michael Wilson, Rondell Moore. Combined over the last three games, they have five catches for forty one yards. All of them come from Rondell Moore over three games. It's hardly impactful. Obviously, Wilson missed one of those two games. He's catches in two games. Hollywood went two games without a catch and then went, missed this game. But that that is that just woefully inadequate. You, you will there is not a quarterback in the NFL, not a single one, who could succeed with production from their top three wideouts like that. Period. Well, and we're seeing it. We're seeing it play out in live time. I mean, we're seeing the best quarterback of this generation, Patrick Mahomes, look average to, I mean, God forbid we say it because he is just so freaking good, but below average. I mean, his game against the Raiders yesterday was was just so bad. And his last four games, he has five touchdowns and five interceptions. I mean, that's just not anything we expect. And by the way, they're one in three in those games. They've lost to Green Bay, Buffalo, and Vegas, and they beat New England 27-17. Like, he's just looked awful. Um, You know, Jalen Hurts, who without a doubt has one of the best offensive personnel groups in the NFL, you know, you, you go back his last four games, he has two touchdowns to three interceptions in two of those games. He's thrown for less than 200 yards. Um, in one of those games, he's thrown for less than 150 yards. And, and again, the Eagles are one in three in those games. Like this is, we're seeing, we're just seeing that the quarterback position is played at on such a week to week basis that and and I've said this before, you know, you have Patrick Mahomes and then every year two through thirteen just you know, it, it changes. Just depends. Um this year it's like I mean, I don't even think anybody knows who the top quarterback is this year. I mean it was <laughs> It was Mahomes. It was Purdy. It was it was uh, Lamar. Prescott, yeah, it was Lamar's Josh Hurts, Allen. Yeah. Like, like you've got all these guys, and 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 none of them. You'd be like, I mean, the last, like I said, the last four weeks. You look at it and you go, I don't. I mean, is this guy really the best quarterback in the NFL? And and it makes it difficult because you. You look at it and go, I'd love for more consistency, um, higher level playmaking, you know, whatever it is that you're looking for. But at the same time, it's like, I've seen the other side. I've seen Josh Dobbs and Clayton Toon. <laughs> like, we've seen Sam Bradford and... Josh Rosen, Max and, Hall, and Derek yeah. Anderson, and it, 
and and I get the idea. You know, I've said it all along. You know, scared money don't make money, but at the same time, it's like the way the league is going. You know, the the highest paid quarterbacks this year, and I said this the other day. Like, what right now? And this isn't again. Like, there's no debate, even on this Arizona Cardinal show. There's no singular debate about whether or not Patrick Mahomes is better than Kyler Murray. There's no debate. But over the last four weeks, what has Patrick Mahomes done better than Kyler Murray? And that's that's where I'm like, you have to be very, very careful with how you how you just pick up and move on. And like you and I said, like there's I don't think that there's a scenario where they move on from after this year because of it, it really cuts off the whole rebuild idea just because if you do move on for any reason, you can't keep him on the roster. You can't keep Kyler Murray on the roster. And so, and then you don't have any cap space, right? So you're accelerating cap space and now you're using that, that asset that we're about to talk about. You're talk, you, you have that number two overall pick, and yes, you're using it on a player and you're hoping he turns out to be CJ Stroud and not Bryce Young. But you have nothing else on top of that because all of a sudden you can't trade that pick or you can't add that pick to other things because you have to use that on a quarterback. And that, again, if you get CJ Stroud, yeah, maybe that takes you to a, a 500 team next year. But then you're talking about a whole nother can of worms, right? Because now you're like, oh, now you don't have a high draft pick and you're 500 and you need to improve somehow. And so, like, I just feel like, as we'll talk about shortly, that the, even though it, I would say mediocrity that we've seen from Kyler Murray this year, he's been very average. It shows me enough that if you get more around him that you can put him in a better place and a chance to succeed next year and then if that doesn't work out then you have the assets ideally to be able to move on without handicapping yourself in free agency as well absolutely coming up next on the rise up Sierra podcast mr cardinals talk on the web let's talk about their draft position because it's gotten better that's coming next on rise up c red we're back on the Rise of Secret podcast of our Cardinals talk on the web. And over the Christmas weekend, the Cardinals were given two gifts and almost a third. In either case, they now, thanks to a win by the New England Patriots over the Denver Broncos on Sunday night, uh, last second field goal. Granted, this was a game the, the Patriots were clearly ahead of and, and then petered away their win, the, the, their lead, and then one on a last-second field goal. They now are behind the Cardinals and the Commanders. The The Patriots move from number two to number four in the draft order. Um, the Cardinals are now the only three-win team in the NFL. The, the, the Panthers darn near won that game and almost got to three wins as well. They, are, they have the, well, the Bears who have the Panthers pick are number one because the Panthers have... Um, Two wins. The Cardinals have three wins. The Patriots and the Commanders each have four wins, and the Commanders almost, almost pulled the cup. They were getting their pants whooped off. 
They were getting the pants beat off of them by the New York Jets, and they came back, had a lead only to give it up in the last minute, um, which would have put the Cardinals in a really good spot because they would have been ahead of the Patriots. They'd be a game behind, like they'd have a one fewer win than the Patriots and two fewer wins than the Commanders. We've been wanting the Commanders to win because it gave them some space to breathe to still have the third pick, even if they messed up and won a game. They also got some help by the fact that the Cleveland Browns hammered the Houston Texans, although the Texans' pick did not move. They are now 8-7. and seven. Uh, They have the 16th pick. If they can get one more loss, that'll probably... Well, they're still in contention in the division, um, but they've got a couple of division games coming up. So the Cardinals now have the number two pick, and their final two games, it almost almost guarantees because it would it would take it would take them winning their final two games and they've not won two games in a row all year um against you know the defending nfc champions in the philadelphia Eagles and then the seattle seahawks who are currently a playoff team um if they don't win a game the rest of the way we know they're number two we basically know that they're in a position where they will win, they will be no lower than fourth overall, and that really puts them in the position uh, because they play the the Eagles and the Seahawks. Washington, they have the 49ers and the Cowboys left on their schedule. Although, although they could pull an upset this weekend, they could do it because Purdy's banged up right now. Uh, Trent Williams is banged up right now. Um, they have like three offensive linemen that are hurt. So we'll have to wait and see how that goes. That might be a um, a helpful game for the Cardinals. And then the Pan- and then the Patriots, to close out their season, uh, they play the Bills and the Jets, and they could mess around and win definitely one of those games. They could beat the Jets for sure. And so the Cardinals are in a very, very, very good position, although, although, do you think it'd be better for them to be third overall? Um, because if you figure that the first two picks are going to be quarterbacks, if unless if you're at number two, which means you're likely going to trade back, you don't want to trade back so much that you lose out on, on Marv. I mean, that's what we're all talking about right now. Although, Seth, you have a scenario that kind of plays out. I'll let you talk about that. It's... It's draft season, and, and and we're not tank. We're not calling for the tank. It's just playing out that way because the Cardinals aren't very good. I wanted to see the Cardinals win one more game. I just didn't think it was going to happen. Yeah, and you know, you look at it, and like you said, there are some scenarios that can play out. Number two puts them in an intriguing position because it it puts the onus right now on other teams to to give them what they want and what i mean by that is either you give the cardinals a reason to move down let's say no lower than seven right so you you give the reasons to the cardinals from two to seven or two to four whatever um and and then you go okay if if marvin's up at four let's say they trade with the patriots who are the fourth pick right now then then you get the best of both worlds whereas like you trade down and and marv goes three then and even in that scenario you know you could call washington unless they're the commanders are dead set on taking marvin harrison jr 
you can say, hey, we'll give you, you know, four and and uh, <clears throat> the extra third round pick we got in 2025 to move up to three and take Marvin Harrison. And then then you still end up with that extra first round pick from the New England Patriots or and whatnot. commanders ideally still get the quarterback. If I'm assuming they're going to go with quarterback at this point. Yeah, you would think that they'd have to. And so that kind of that's the other question is. Is Jaden Daniels, is Bo Nix, or whoever the quote-unquote third quarterback is, are they worth that? And and that's where the question starts to come into play. Um, you know, for the Cardinals, I think there's, there's a couple things that you look at. The first thing with that second pick is, you know, Obviously, if you desire, and we've kind of laid out the reasons why we wouldn't go that way, but it doesn't mean anything. We're just guys on a podcast. Um, you know, if you desire to draft a quarterback, you get one. If you don't and you say, hey, we understand that the trades will be there, but the reality is we can't pass on Marvin Harrison Jr. or Olo Fashano or Joe Alt or whatever, whatever the name you want to throw there is. We can't we can't leave to chance. So unless the Washington Commanders give us something, we can't go down to even four because we have to be able to get our guy, whoever that guy is. Um, but I think just being at two gives you more options because that guarantees you one of the top quarterbacks is there. Whereas if you're at three, you can't guarantee one of the top quarterbacks is there. And you basically are putting yourself in a position where you say is, and I get that you're doing that with two as well, but is Marvin Harrison Jr. worth X? Uh, You know, we talked about the Will Anderson decision last year. I think Will Anderson is still the best player from the 2023 NFL draft. I think he's a phenomenal player, but you look at what they got in return, and if you end up getting, you know, Paris Johnson Jr., and let's say they add, uh, you know, just throw a name out there who's at the consensus at 16, you know, Jared Verse or uh, Chop Robinson or, you know, uh, who's the the J.C. Latham or uh, the big guy out of Oregon State. Um, can't remember his name. Talisi Fuaga, right? Like, if you end up with those two guys, are you going to be like, oh, I can't believe they didn't get Will Anderson? No, I mean, Will Anderson's great. But, like, if you end up with – if you end up being able to get a, a starting tackle and a starting edge or two starting tackles, I think everybody walks away going, that was a good trade, like well worth the trade. Um, you know, so those are the, the scenarios. And right now, like I've said, like, you know, on the consensus big board from NFL Mock Dra- Draft Database – it's Jared Verse. So, like, if you walk away from that Texans trade with with Paris Johnson Jr. as your, you know, left or right tackle moving forward, and then Jared Verse as your top edge rusher, I think you go, hey, that's a good trade. And and I know people will go, well, you know, all right, let's compare Jared Verse to Will Anderson. Okay, Will Anderson's better. I don't think anybody's really going to say that doesn't mean that he'll be a better pro or have a better career or anything of that nature but he you know as a prospect coming out 
there's no question will will Anderson Jr. is better. But is he better than Paris Johnson Jr. and Jared Verse? And that's kind of how you have to look at it. Um, you know, so that's just kind of where where I'm at with it. You know, I I've run through some scenarios and and the one that keeps popping up now is is the Cardinals sitting at two, right? The Cardinals sit at two and the first team that calls is the New England Patriots. So if you are the Cardinals and you're sitting with the second pick in the draft and, and the Patriots call and say, hey, we have the fourth pick, and you go, okay. Um, and they say, we'll give you one and, and 34, which is – or 36, excuse me. Uh, 34 is a Cardinals pick. 36, okay. Well, throw in next year's one. They're going to be like, yeah, it's a little too much. Okay, so let me ask you this. You go – one and 80 or 81, whatever the, the Cardinals extra third round pick that was from um, from Houston. So you go one and 80, but you get one or sorry, four, 36, next year's first and next year's third. I think you do that every time. And then you just kind of let the draft fall as it may, right? Like, okay. Marvin Harrison goes third. Now all of a sudden you have Joe Alt, you have Olo Fashano, you have Malik Neighbors, and you have uh, the kid out of uh, out of uh, UCLA, La, La Tu, La Tu, you know the edge rusher, and then you've got the top interior defensive linemen and corners available. Like at four, you're still talking about you have the number one player at every position sans wide receiver. And I told this to Jess off the air, Malik neighbors is 100 times out of 101 times. He's wide receiver one in a draft. He's just going up against a guy that is on a plane of Calvin Johnson, Larry Fitzgerald in terms of prospect status in Marvin Harrison jr. I mean, Malik neighbors is, is a guy that you, you look at in every other year and you go, oh man, this guy is a, this guy is a phenom lock top, you know, five, 10 pick. And he's the second best wide receiver in this class. That's just, I mean, that's just how good Marvin Harrison Jr. is. It's not a shot by any means at, at Malik neighbors. So, you know, I think, I think obviously one's the most ideal because you control the draft completely. But I don't think two is a bad spot to be in, especially with who follows you. Like you said, the commanders, the Patriots, and the uh, the Giants. All three of those teams probably need a quarterback. Yeah. Um, and and so you, you can look at it and say, hey, five's the limit of how low we'll go. And then you don't have to worry about it because if a team's coming up for, for – the Williams or May, whoever's number two, you are guaranteed one of Olufushanu, Marvin Harrison, Joe Alt, Malik Neighbors, or, or uh, Laitu Latu. Like you're guaranteed, like there's zero percent chance that you won't get one of those guys. And then you just have to trust that Monty is going to make the right pick. Um, and I think that's just a, I, I think that's an ideal scenario to to be able to have the ability to say, oh, we're going to take the best player in the draft, which again is Marvin Harrison Jr., or we're going to trade down and not take ourselves out of the range for potentially the best player in the draft or the top 
you know, premium position, tackle, edge, you know, corner, wide receiver. Like we still have those choices that we can make. And I just don't think that's you can really go wrong with that while you continue to kind of build because that's the biggest thing that we have to look at. And and by the way, for anybody that wants to move on from Kyler, that is the scenario you're hoping for is that they get two, they trade down to four or five, pick up whoever's it is, New England's, New York Giants, whoever it is, their first round pick next year. And then even if you just end up with you know, let's say the Cardinals end up at, at seven and 10 next year, which right now would have them, you know, picking in the 10 to 13 range. And then the Patriots in this scenario end up at, at eight, and nine. So they're picking in the 16 to 18 range. If you end up with 13 and 16, guess what? It's a lot easier to go get number two, right? Or number one for the top quarterback in next year's draft and move on. And like we said, all of a sudden you still have your cap space. You were able to to put the team together and then go get the final product of whatever it needs to be. Um, whereas right now they're definitely, I mean, I don't think anybody would argue with this. They're definitely still in the stage of they have to build. They have to yeah. continue to build oh my gosh. Be- because they just lack so much talent all over. Coming to next on the Rays of Sierra podcast, best of Cardinals talking web. We will wrap up. We'll, we'll actually we'll, we'll talk briefly about a roster move that happened on Tuesday. That's coming on next on Rise of Sierra. We're back on the Rise of Sierra podcast, best of Cardinals talking the web. Cardinals made a, a roster move that was probably predictable to be coming around at this point. They released Marco Wilson, um, getting rid of yet another. Steve Kime draft pick. Uh, there was a time, there was a time, if, if you remember, Seth, that if there was any player that we could point to as, as kind of Steve Kime as an evaluator, it was this one because he looked at Marco Wilson and he said he's got top cornerback potential and he traded, went up to trade him. They, they, he believed that he was the steal of the draft and rookie year, uh, last year, last year was pretty, pretty, pretty fine. Like pretty, like he was not bad. And then this year, ooh, he got he he started and played almost every snap of the first eleven games of the season. Then was benched. Hasn't played a defensive snap. Still, he still even in those eleven games allowed the fourth most yards receiving yards in, in you know being targeted in the NFL. And he being relegated to a special teams player. Uh, they're set to bring back Bobby Price, who's a much better special teams player than Marco Wilson. So I guess this was always going to happen. Um, but, yeah, it closes the book on yet another Steve Kime draft pick. Yeah, and it's just sad that that's how these things are tending to to play out for them because, you know, one of the things we've talked about more than anything is that they just need one of these guys to work out and and it's just continually not right like you're you're continually being disappointed in how how these uh situations and scenarios are playing out and and for the cardinals you know they need a Tariq Woolen like they they need to hit on Tariq Woolen um you know, for those of you that aren't familiar, Tariq Woolen was the with a fifth round, I think, 
corner for the for the Seahawks um, out of what is it? For the Seahawks. Yeah. Out of UTSA. Like they they desperately need one of the uh, you know, and and Ambry Thomas, the third round pick out of for the for the forty like they need to hit on one of those guys and they just and and obviously we hope that Garrett Williams will be, but you know, as I kind of alluded to earlier, man, wasn't the writing on the wall this week when Garrett Williams is out with the you know the knee inflammation, and um, and and Marco Wilson and and you and I played the same amount of defense snaps. I mean, <laughs> like that was just. Just one of those scenarios where you look at it and you go, oh, man, like they they straight up are just done with this dude. Do you think that Marco will land somewhere and turn his career around? Or did we already see the best of Marco's career? You know, I don't want to say that we've seen the best because I always want a guy to succeed. And and um, I think Marco's biggest issue, and I wrote about a, a little bit today, is that that guy's got one of the best toolboxes in the, in the league, but he just has no idea what tool to use at any time. And that makes it really difficult to be a good player, right? Like, you know, we talked about Keontae Ingram. We talked about these guys that are just all athleticism that even in college, you can kind of get away with being just an elite, elite athlete. Um, At the NFL level, almost everybody's an elite athlete, but if they're not an elite athlete, uh, they're an elite technician and they're they're so coached up and they, they do such a good job and and I think that's just kind of where it frustrating probably not the right word but like a guy like uh, a guy like Marco it's just disappointing because he was a guy that was afforded every opportunity and I think there will be you know a, a group of people, that look at this and say, well, why didn't they do this, right, or, or that or the other? But you look at it, I mean, I mean, they you're talking. a lot of patience with him earlier in this season, a lot of patience. Yeah, and he just is a guy that just doesn't seem like it has clicked for him, which doesn't mean it won't. I mean, it just it, it doesn't at all. But when you look at corners in this league, it's hard. It one. It's the hardest position to play in the NFL, um, especially as the rules continue to evolve in favor of offenses. Right? Like it's just it's almost impossible to be a cornerback in in today's game. And you know, as as somebody that, and again, I'm talking a, an eighth grader versus an NFL player, but as somebody that has a kid that is literally in the midst of trying to become a uh, a corner and wants, you know, and is out there competing and learning, like, the game is so difficult now for these poor kids. And I go back and I look at, you know, Marco this year. 11 games played on defense. Played in 15, but, you know, the last four have been special teams only. 11 games played on defense. He's allowed 727 yards. Like... That's an absurd number for a third-year corner. Yeah, you you is. go you go back to his rookie season, which admittedly was not great, right? And in 13 games, he allowed 588. You go back to last season, where you know you mentioned it. It looked like he was starting to improve, like starting to kind of come around. 
and he allowed 546. So in two less games or three less games this year, he's allowed almost 200 more receiving yards. He's allowed five touchdowns. Um, you know, his passes defense number is way down, and that's something that Justin and I talk about all the time with, when it comes to defensive backs. You know, getting their hands on the football is, is just the most important aspect of what they do. And you look at it, he had four as a rookie, again, respectable fourth pick, you know, playing a lot of games. And then in 2022, again, he started, you, you started to be like, oh, maybe this is a good. one interception, uh, or sorry, three interceptions, 10 passes defense, 13 in 14 games. You want to be at about one a game. That's, that's where you want to be if you're a good NFL corner. This year, he had four passes defense total. And it wasn't like they weren't targeting him. No, no, right? he like, was being targeted. <laughs> and and so, like, this is just a dude that, I mean, for whatever reason, fell short this year and, and, and became a guy that didn't have it. Well, in, in fairness, I, I do applaud Marco for embracing as best he could the role that he was given on special teams. Unfortunately... He has not yet become like an ace. Like his athleticism, he's a guy who could be an absolute dog on special teams. Um, I don't know if his ego would allow that because he's always been the guy on defense. Like he he came in as a and it, <laughs> and Florida as a starter was starting as a freshman. Um, he has the mentality of a number one corner. And that's different than the type of mentality you have to have, say, that Antonio Hamilton, who, you know, he believes he's player number 54. So he, he even, in, even if he's starting, he still believes that they're trying to cut him. And so that's the way he attacks his job every single day, that he, he attacks special teams, he attacks every practice rep. And, and Marco just doesn't have that. I, I, I would hope that he can at least develop into a – a stud special teams player that can have, you know, play another eight years in the NFL, or ideally he can become a, a decent player. And then we can lament, well, this coach, the coach Cardinals coaches couldn't get out of him and someone else did. Well, and that's the thing is like, you know, we always want these guys to succeed and, and hopefully it's with Arizona, but at the same time, you look at it, you, you've got a guy who just with, with two coaching staffs with 20 or sorry, 37 career starts. And again, the the numbers don't have to be hard and fast, but like he should be around a certain amount. And, and for him to have uh, 21 career plays on the ball is just in, in 37 starts. It's just a guy that lacks one of the key elements of being a good defensive player, and that's and that's finding the ball when it's in the air. And, you know, that is what makes great players or great corners um, in this league. And, and so, you know, it's it's definitely unfortunate. It's unfortunate in, in a number of ways, but the biggest one is obviously that they just desperately need something to work at that position it's not working yeah yeah coming up next on the rise of series podcast with our Cardinals talking about one final little bit 
talk about the latest injury, another one on the defensive line. That's coming up next on Rise of Red. We're back on the Rise of Red podcast. Our Cardinals stock on the web, and we have yet another season-ending injury. Granted, season-ending means two games, so hopefully it's not a yeah. serious injury. But Jonathan Ledbetter, uh, his season is done, which means all four of the Cardinals' best defensive linemen finish the season on injured reserve. LJ Collier. Carlos Watkins, Lucky Foto, and now Jonathan Ledbetter. Final two games. Um, you know, <laughs> that that leaves Kevin Strong and um, Dante Stills as the only two defensive linemen remaining from the beginning of the season. That's incredible. It's, it's, it's legitimately one of the more baffling things I can remember, man. And, you know, you go out and you kind of just look at what's happened this year for this team and and to see them genuinely not have and and I don't mean this to come off the wrong way but just genuinely not have a guy that you can look at and be like hey this is a good football player um left along the defensive line is it's kind of baffling is it not Oh, it's 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 crazy how that particular position has has been. You know, we knew we knew the defensive line was going to be great, but you had hope for the upside of Collier. You had veteran consistency from Carlos Watkins. You had you know rotational guy uh, Jonathan Ledbetter coming into this season. He was perhaps the most consistent guy they had on the D line last year. He was very consistent this year. He's nothing special. Um, but you know he he could be back next year. He's going to be a restricted free agent, and so. But now your starting defensive line is going to be Kevin Strong, Dante Stills, and uh, Roy Lopez or Naquan Jones. That's that's not inspiring. No, and it's just unfortunate that one position. I, and I, that's why I said I've genuinely never seen one position group just take such a just such a hit. It, it's crazy to see it. And Considering how thin they were, like, we know going into the season, that was a thin position in terms of talent. Yeah, and, and just to see it get tested and then tested again is just, yeah, it's just, it's crazy, man, that that's how it's, it's played out this year. And I, I mean, I couldn't have dreamed up in my wildest dreams that this would have happened. <laughs> Only the Cardinals. Oh, you know, uh, we'll, we'll have to wait and say, I hope it's not a serious injury. You know, hopefully it's just one of those things that, hey, uh, he hurt his knee and he, he wasn't going to play the last two games of the season because it's just, you know, a sprain. Hopefully it's not something serious, especially because he's not under contract next year. Uh, restricted free agent, meaning that the Cardinals, if they decide to tender him, uh, would bring him back at two point something million dollars. Um, yeah, then that's a bummer. Um Lee means more opportunities for Dante Stills and Kevin Strong. Hopefully they're both healthy. And then, But DeAndre Swift and Ken Walker over the next two weeks, good luck. So, we, yeah, we're, down, we're, down, so we're down not only that, down their four best defensive linemen, their two best linebackers, and they're playing rookies. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, just, quarterback. it's just so absurd that this is where this team is, man. Like, that this is... I just I've never seen anything like this and to see them to see them in a position where they 
they don't even have like an NFL caliber starter at this juncture is it's straight up baffling, man. Yep. And with that, we will wrap up this edition, episode 500 of the Rise Up Series podcast. Mr. Carlos Stock on the web. Seth will be back. Be back later this week, and hopefully I can get something set up as we prepare for the Cardinals and Eagles in Week 17, a game that, while I think is, you know, of the three that they had left, I thought, I think this is the game where they might F around it and win, not because I think that they they can actually compete with the Eagles. It's just one of those things that would happen. But, ooh, that defense, the Cardinals' defense going up against that offense of the Eagles. Good night. DeAndre Swift and, and, and Kenneth Gainwell. They're going to rush for like 300 yards, aren't they? Yeah, and I think that, yeah, 250 to 300 yards between Swift, Gainwell, and, uh, and Hertz. Jalen Hurts. Yeah, it's going, to be, it's going to be an ugly one. <laughs> we'll talk about that later this week. That's Seth Cox. I'm Just Root. Thanks for listening, as always. Thanks for listening to the latest edition of the Rise Up Sea Red podcast. Listen to previous episodes and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Audioboom, or many other podcast platforms so shows are delivered directly to your mobile device. Please give the show a five-star rating and always support the sponsors who support the show. We'll be back soon for the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. Rise up Red Sea, be Red Sea Red, and of course, rise up Sea Red. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.